When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Football Social Daily. Congratulations, you've made it to the middle of the week. And your reward, you might ask, well, that is that the football simply does not stop Champions League action right the way across the last 48 hours as all four Premier League sides test themselves up against the great and good of Europe. And right here on FSD, we have got you covered. In part one, we'll be taking a look back at last night's action as it was a double win for the Premier League. Liverpool edged out a 3-2 win over Atletico Madrid, but it was a controversial night in the Spanish capital. A little bit less exciting and high profile for Manchester City as they cruised on to a 5-1 win against Club Bruges. Right, that's all to come in part one of the show. That's all coming up first. And then in part two, we are in preview mode on tonight's action. Under pressure, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer plays host to Atalanta at Old Trafford and Premier League leaders Chelsea welcome Swedish side Malmo to Stamford Bridge. Right then, plenty to get through on today's show. My name's Fergal Brennan, and joining me, we have the regular Wednesday crew. So that means Mr. Ian Brannan. Ian, how's things? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, The um, triple award-nominated Ian Brannan this week, including for my work being the voice of Pot Noodle in nicer supermarkets. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we're good. I think congratulations are in order, definitely, Ian. Well done. Yeah, more more silverware this week than Tottenham in a decade. (laughs) Um, And we also have Matt Pidd. Matt, any accolades, any trophies in the cabinet this week any nominations that we should know about um no apart from that i have the uh, best bacon butter in hardwick i'd say for my cafe it is <laughs> to be honest yeah i think i think if we're, if we're comparing things on a wed- on a wet wednesday morning i think that's a, that's a pretty pretty strong one to go with right uh, we're gonna get stuck into the games from last night atletico madrid liverpool 3-2 win for liverpool away at atletico ian before kickoff and in the last couple of days, there's there's so much narrative surrounding this game. Obviously, Liverpool winning the Champions League at the Wanda uh, against Tottenham, then losing to Atletico in the Champions League in that last game before football was effectively closed down due to due to COVID nineteen. And this was kind of billed as a bit of a clash, but it was probably going to be the immovable object against the irresistible force, and maybe not a lot of give and take. That was absolutely thrown out of the window. Two two inside the first half an hour, absolutely mad. You think of Liverpool as this attacking force but we know that Atletico traditionally are so hard to grind down and get goals against is this a mark of just how well Liverpool are playing at the minute that they managed to get two goals against probably traditionally the most tough mean defence in European football 
Well, yeah, I think the the, the big difference, of course, is Mo Salah, who's uh, an, an unstoppable force in whatever competition he's playing in at the moment, isn't he? But that mixed with um, a game of mistakes. You know, we all talk about football being a game of skill and passion and all this, but let's not forget this, the mistakes often lead to those moments of brilliance as well. And there was mistakes all over the shop from from both teams, and uh, it allowed it allowed for a you know what you would call an exciting match for the neutral. Um, probably have your heart in your mouth if you're a supporter of either of those clubs. And, uh, you know, it had its moments, didn't it? And um, and for Salah as well, setting a, a club record, uh, nine consecutive games. It's a feat unmatched in all the great uh, goal scorers of Liverpool's history. You know, he's firmly up there. So um, whilst the game was was littered with mistakes, um, it was a game for, uh, for Mo Salah to, to really shine once again. And, um, you know, he is, as I say, he's just... He's just one of the all-time great strikers. He's proving it. He's playing before our eyes right now. I do wonder, I was watching him last night, though, and, you know, I, I, I know that Liverpool are a big club, but, you know, the amount of ridiculous money that's kicking around these days, you do wonder if there's going to be some big attempts from, from some places around the world to try and, and lure him because doing what he's doing is, you know, he's firmly in the window of, of every single person in football and uh, how long can Liverpool hold on to him, dare I say? Because I know Liverpool would, would love to think that they are, uh, uh, you know, an unstoppable force themselves. But I think when they're, they're not in crazy in the crazy league, are they, in terms of the cash? And uh, you wonder how long before a Paris Saint-Germain or even, dare I say, <coughs> Newcastle um, have, a, have a go. Uh, but I think it's wishful thinking for the time being, but I think Champions League football is the big difference. But, you know, he's doing it doing it on all feet. And, of course, uh, a match, of course, uh, Liverpool saved by VAR as well. So uh, it had it all. Yeah. Um, Matt, when you look at Salah's performance, as, as Ian points out, he is in absolutely wild form. Just looking at his numbers so far this season, 12 goals in 11 games for Liverpool, two again last night, although one of them may possibly have gone down as, a, as an own goal or a, or a James Milner little clip because... When you've got a player like Salah in the type of form that he is, you, you've got an almost guarantee at one end of the pitch that he's going to get a goal. But we saw last night, as Ian mentioned, a couple of mistakes at the other end. And Virgil van Dijk's come back into this team. He's come back fit. Last five games, Liverpool have only kept one clean sheet. And it's been Matip and van Dijk as a partnership in both of them. They shipped three against Brentford, conceded against Porto. Obviously, two against your team, Man City. Clean sheet against Watford. And then two last night. And the two goals from Antoine Griezmann both came as results. One from, from Matip and one from Van Dijk resulting from mistakes and Antoine Griezmann is, is a fantastic striker he possibly could have had four maybe even five goals before half time this is not something that we associate with Virgil van Dijk Virgil van Dijk and, and Joe Matip they're absolutely supreme performers but up against an elite striker like Griezmann last night they were exposed and they're not as watertight as they have been in previous seasons no, and it could be it could be a worry for Klopp going forward, but we have to remember Van Dijk's coming back from a really serious ACL injury, and we all know that some players, no matter how good they are, no matter how world-class they are, can struggle to come back as the player they were before that, you know, when they come back from the injury itself. And, you know, Liverpool, as, as much as they are conceding goals right now, they're, they're getting the job done, and it was a hostile atmosphere at the Wanda last night. It could have... You know, we went 2-0 down, it could have just gone to 4-0 and then everything would have fell apart. But Liverpool showed great character and coming back the way they did, you know, you know, they come back before the half an hour mark. Um, Salah, he broke Gerrard's um, Champions League goal-scoring record last night, if I believe. I think it was his 31st in the uh, the Champions League for Liverpool. So, um, yeah, that was a, a decent night for Salah. And for me, he's the, he's the best in the world right now, on current form, I'd say. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Gomez could have played last night as well. Matip and Van Dijk, you know, it was it was just one of them nights. It's it's the it's the atmosphere, it's the stadium, it's the team they're coming up against. Sometimes you're going to have these nights where you know it doesn't work exactly to plan on from a de- defensive point of view. But I think Liverpool will just be more glad that they came away with the win rather than conceding the two goals. You know, they was lucky to not concede the penalty at the end. Um, Jota with the foul, I think it was on Jimenez maybe. Um, he fouled him. For me, it was a, it was a it was a penalty. It doesn't matter if the contact wasn't you know it wasn't deliberate or anything. It was, there was contact in the box. The player's gone down. Um, Jota got the wrong side of his man. The referee's gone to the monitor and obviously he's he's seen it differently to everyone else. And um, yeah, it was a live our pool last night. But um, sometimes you need these things to go your way in the Champions League. We all know the Champions League. It's a competition where you know if luck is on your side, you know that that's that's when um, that's when things can go your way. And yeah, Liverpool will be will be really happy to come away with three points last night. It's three from three from them now. Looking at some of those calls after the break, Ian, the first half was full of goals, full of action in terms of positivity with uh, some fantastic football. Few errors, which we do like to see as a neutral and four goals. But after the break, it was all about the referee, Daniel Siebert. So I'm just going to break this down in terms of decisions. Antoine Griezmann, the hero of the Atletico first half, two goals. And then just before the hour mark, he decides to have what I was calling a bit of a brain fart and goes in with Mm -hmm. a karate kick on Roberto Firmino. Just, just absolutely crazy challenge. And, and online, there's been comparisons to the Nigel De Jong, and particularly Ian from United fans about Nani back in 2013. If you don't remember it, he launched a kind of similar one on I think it was Danny Carvajal, got himself sent off. Real Madrid win at Old Trafford uh, and go through to the next round. Cristiano Ronaldo, incidentally, scoring the winner that night. I don't know, don't know whatever happened to him, but. Was this the right call? <laughs> the argument always comes in these situations of Griezmann was looking at the ball, it was coming over his shoulder. Yes, his foot is high, but he can't be expected to see Firmino behind him. For my money, it's a red card. Whether he meant to do it, whether he was dangerously looking to injure for air, Firmino doesn't really matter. His foot was way too high and he deserved to go. Yes, he deserved to be sent off. Um, because yeah, all right, he, he he couldn't see what was coming and stuff. But you don't need to have your foot that high in the first place, really, do you? You know, I mean, yes, if you're bringing a ball down, but there's players around him. He can see. I've I've got a, a photo. I'm looking at him now. His face. He is looking at his foot. He can see that his foot is high, and he can also see there are not one but two players in front of him. So uh, I don't buy the fact that it was necessarily accidental. Yeah, it all happened really quick, but he knew that he was under pressure that there was a player coming for the ball that um, Firmino was was in the area so why would you have your foot sort of nearly at shoulder height <laughs> well, certainly it, and that's Griezmann's shoulder height I mean it's uh, it's um, he's a midget <laughs> Firmino's for, for ear you know so it's like it, 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 that is you're asking for it and, and whether it's right or wrong if you put your foot in that zone you know that there's the chat you know in the same way as if you have your hand out in a penalty area you know that you, you might well get caught. I mean, he, he proper got him on the face. I can't imagine it was very nice for Firmino. I mean, if that was me, I'd be rolling around for a good 20 minutes. Um, so, you know, I, um, yeah, it was the right call. But it's a shame, isn't it? Because he was like hero and villain all in one because, you know, for for, um, for Atletico, scoring goals and playing really well up to that point. And, yeah, how things turned, uh, turned south, uh, you know, so quickly. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've seen De Jong having a laugh about it on Twitter last night saying, I'm sure I've seen that sort of challenge somewhere. You know, he, he got away with it on the biggest stage on the cup final. Yeah, he can't, he can't have any complaints really. I mean, I was I was joking about Griezmann's size there, you know, he's, he's a bit of a midget whatnot. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's... Um, no, it's, it's a straight red, regardless of intent. You know, it's 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 a dangerous challenge. You know, for me, no, you know, he could have had his teeth knocked out, and that would have been, you know, the end for him. You know, have you seen his teeth? Jesus, oh God, the brighter my future. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, would have been, it would have been it would have been absolutely gutted about that. Yeah, it's just one of these things. It, there might not have been intent there, but you can't really have any complaints about it at all. It was um, a historic moment as well, by the way, in Champions League history, because that was the first time Antoine Griezmann is the first player in Champions League history to score two goals and get sent off. Mm. Wow, nice, nice start. Boom, we're back with the stats. Yes. Love it. Ian, you're Love making it. me look bad. I'm going to have to fire up Wikipedia to, to, prove, uh, to prove that I still know some bits and pieces. Right, alongside the oh, red card, yeah. there's two other big calls. A penalty at both ends, one given, one given and then taken away. So, Ian, I just want to take a look at these as well because the action just didn't really stop in this one last night. 78 minutes on the clock. Diogo Jota goes down under Mario Hamosa's challenge. Penalty given. Mo Salah steps up and bangs Liverpool in front in what's turned out to be the winner. Then four minutes later at the opposite end, Jota decides to get his hands all over Jose Jimenez. Siebert gives the penalty, then after a big long check on VAR, overturns it. This this created a massive amount of controversy. So Ian, I'm going to go to you first on this. What was your take on the penalty that was given and the penalty that was and then taken away? Um, I think the penalty that that, that was given um, was... You know, it seemed like a fairly clear penalty to me. Um, it was a bit of a clumsy challenge, um, and yeah, it was a penalty. So I, I wasn't surprised to see a penalty awarded in that circumstance. Um, the other one, I mean, the, the camera angles that I saw weren't really particularly conclusive, and I know that this was the one that obviously VAR, uh, the referee, went over to the side of the pitch and, and had a look at it. Um, but it was. I mean, I'm not exactly sure exactly why it was overturned because we don't have the benefit of the referee with us to to explain his thinking. Um, it was one of those. It, it quite there was clear contact by Jota, um, and with that in mind, I think 99 times out of 100 you would expect that to be given. Um, you know, just because all the ingredients are there. Player goes down, he's got an arm on him or whatever, and, and you know, it's one of them where, yeah, it's a penalty. I think if it had been awarded as a penalty, we would be saying simply that Atletico got awarded a penalty because of a clumsy um, challenge by Jota and, um, and and then whatever happened from there. And I don't think we'd be kind of agonising over the penalty. So the fact that we're debating it um, me, <laughs> means that perhaps the, the, the decision was wrong. Um as I say, uh, that's what the referee did. That's what VA asked for. Maybe there was something in there that hasn't been explained, but I haven't seen that explanation anywhere else yet. Um, but yeah, well, you know, Liverpool got away with one. But these things even out over the season. You know, these kind of decisions, don't they? We we always say it, and I'm sure further down the line, it'll, Liverpool will be hard done by in some form or another, and um, and you know, the the planets will be back in in alignment again. Uh, but. It's just football, isn't it? It's part of the drama. Part of the drama, and we always say sometimes about how VAR is uh, is ruining the game because it's too clinical. It just shows that actually VAR can produce just as many bonkers decisions as referees on their own. So one of the interesting bits from this, Matt, anyone that watched this on BT will have heard Peter Walton as, as the referee and refereeing expert. Uh, oh, uh, Peter Walton, where, here if, he is. Uh, if that's what we can. 
Say that in inverted commas, expert. I've never, I, until, until Peter Walton started being the expert referee on the telly, I've never heard of Peter Walton as a referee. Could be anybody. Maybe he was just a Sunday League referee, maybe he's just been brought in for this. But Matt, Matt his point on this was, was also quite confusing because anyone watching this, his statement before the Atletico penalty was, this is a penalty. There's <clears throat> cause to give a penalty. He's going to give a penalty after looking at VAR. And then Seabert went the other way. But... He yeah. tried to kind of say that yeah. in the penalty that was given against um, Hermoso on Jota, there was a demonstrable example of excessive physical force, whereas the one given in Jota's favour in the end, where he pulled down Jimenez at the other end, that was more of a borderline call. Is that where we fall down with VAR? Because the penalty that was given, it was demonstrable that Hermoso just barged into the back of Jota, whereas in the other one, it's this example of, do you deem that to be excessive force to go down for a penalty? Penalty. And then we do open up a bit of a Pandora's box and goes back to the Griezmann thing of, well, one person's excessive force is one person's get up and get on with it. You see, this is the thing with VAR. It's still open to interpretation. It ultimately comes down to opinion at the end of the day. So it's never going to iron out every single little mistake. It's still going to cause controversy. And, you know, the Hamasa one, yeah, it might have looked a little bit more clumsy. I mean, the ball was hooked over. I think it was from Alexander-Arnold. And he, he really he had no bearings of where he was. And he's just, he's just brought him down. Um, it was. It looked a lot. I'd say this. It looked a lot more clumsy than the Jota one. The Jota one looked a little bit more innocuous. But having said that, there's both of them have have um, reasonable contact to cause a penalty. So I can't understand why one's one's given and one isn't. And you know what? The referee there has some cojones on him to go over to that to that monitor with that that in that cauldron, you know, of that, of that atmosphere, that stadium, and then to just to do to do the, the the sign and then not give it. You know, I was I was very surprised. And you got Peter Walter saying, "Oh well, I disagree with this." It's the first time I've ever heard him disagree with the decision that the referees come to. To be honest, I think that was history made on BT Sport last night. He very very rarely goes against what the actual official on the pitch is, has given. But yeah, I, I was surprised. I was surprised that that wasn't given. But then, then, like we were just saying, these decisions iron themselves out. The VAI is still open to interpretation. It's still got to come down to an opinion at the end of the day. And the referee on the night just deemed one a penalty and one not, even though one looked more a little bit more clumsy than the other. But then, like you, you touched on there, Fergal, the one with with Griezmann. You know, there was no intent there, but it was it was it still happened. So why is 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 one decision not given and one not, even regardless of intent? So no, it's it's still. And controversy VAR, and it, I think it's going to um, continue to do so for many years to come. Yeah, so from controversy in Madrid to calmness in Bruges, Matt, Manchester City 5 1 win away at Club Bruges, obviously bouncing back from defeat to PSG last time out in European action. That means that Pep and the lads are back on track in terms of pushing on for the, for the uh, next stage, for the knockout uh, rounds. Looking at this as a performance, 2-0 up at half-time, 3-0 up before the hour mark, and then just just the absolute cruise control pretty much from the start. You must have had your feet up watching this because I think most of the Manchester City players did as well. Before the game, you know, I was thinking, you know, Bruges have, have proven they're a tough side. You know, they've already taken points off, you know, PSG and Leipzig, and plus they have a decent atmosphere at their place, which always helps when you've got a big game at home. Um, they're unbeaten in all competitions at home as well this season, you know, so it was... Um, before the game, I was thinking, you know, it's going to be a tough day. game. They've got um, players like Mananken, um, De Ketlar and Lang as well, look dangerous. Um, you know, City just, you know, as soon as the ball kicked off, you know, it, we had the ball in the uh, the net twice before the 20-minute mark. Obviously, both goals were disallowed. Um, Grealish with a foul on their centre-half and 
the set piece one was rather unlucky because it looked like a clever routine but Laporte unfortunately just strayed offside um, Foden showing his quality with the, the first goal um, the ball over the top for Cancelo who's shown a centre forwards composure maybe we should be playing him up front you know Cancelo he took the ball in his chest and made the goalkeeper brilliantly um, Mares just before half time it was some really nice interplay with him and Kevin De Bruyne in the ball broke to him quite luckily actually and um, yeah he got he got the penalty and he slotted it away perfectly um, second half you know we just continued where we left off with the first um, it was just some, some really lovely build up play again the way the way the way we had the ball all night it was just it, with and without the ball City were just absolutely ridiculous um, Bruce didn't know what to do they was just they, they looked dumbfounded and every time they got the ball Bruce you could you could just see just how you know tired they actually were. City were just absolutely just mesmeric when we had the ball. Um, yeah, it was um, more yeah more great football from City. Um, Kyle Kyle Walker then going through making his underlapping runs as he did do all night. He's him, him and Cancelo both in particular because Bruce so many problems with them underlapping runs. I think it was a uh, Lescott and Peter Crouch touched on it at half time. It seems that City have just sort of flipped the script with the way they do that. Um, it was it was a lovely ball through from De Bruyne. Um, Walker just charges through, puts it three three nil with a tidy finish, and then you know Guardiola can he can then afford to make a couple of changes. You know, rest some legs. Laporte and Bernardo making way for Gundogan and Ake, and it's um, they're not bad players to bring on when you're three nil up, really, are they? And then you made two more changes. You know, Foden. Kevin De Bruyne earning the rest, and Sterling and Palmer coming on in their place, and you know I was really excited to see Palmer after his double performance for City over the weekend. You know he came on um, in the Premier League against Burnley, and then come on for the under 23s over the bridge and scored a hat trick. And it only took him a matter of seconds before he made his mark on the game. He had a, it was a very cultured finish on his left foot. His first touch to set himself was fantastic, and you know Sterling found him with a really nice pass, and it was lovely to see the two substitutes combining. And Sterling, you know, he had um, a couple of decent chances in the game as well. It, it's it's hard to watch Sterling at the moment because you can see him, he just really wants it so badly. It, there was a couple of opportunities last night where he could have squared it to someone in the box. You, you could just see it, how much he wants that goal. He just wants to get that off his back, but it's just not happening for him at the moment. Um, Roger, a special mention for him last night, he was replaced by Fernandinho, but for, for him this season... He seems to have just been revamped. He, he, he very rarely loses the ball nowadays and he just seems to be in the right place, you know, 90% of the time. He's got the um, the highest completed passing percentage in the Premier League this season with 94%. And it looks like um, Guardiola's turned him into like a, a Sergio Busquets 2.0 at the moment. And he's, he's, he's really, he really is showing his quality. Um, and then to, to round off the night, fifth in the night, Mares. Lovely little ball through, and he, he just finishes it clinically. It was, yeah, like I said, feet up, probably at half-time. City just showed the quality. Um, we we played a, no, a number of players up front. It was fluid. It looked really good, but I think um, we, we still are missing that centre-forward. But even though we're bagging loads of goals at the moment, it's lovely to see. There was just a few instances last night where there was just a few wasted opportunities, particularly before half-time. But, yeah, cruise control from the Blues last night, and... Um, a thoroughly, um, thoroughly deserved performance. It was um, very professional, and uh, yeah, five star on the night. 
We're going to come back to Cole Palmer in a minute, Matt, because I want to get your, your take on him. But Ian, this idea again of the number nine or the lack of number nine is, is going to keep coming up for Manchester City. But when they turn in performances like they did last night and score five goals with four different goal scorers, Phil Foden started as a false nine last night through the middle with Grealish and Mahrez either side of him. You then have De Bruyne and, and Bernardo Silva bombing on to look to link up. And the amount of interchanging in positions gave Bruges a headache right the way throughout the game because Foden was there, then he would pull out, Silva would go, Kevin De Bruyne would run on, Riyad Mahrez was central at some times, then obviously the young lad Cole Palmer came on later on, you had Raheem Sterling come on, coming off the bench. When it goes well, when it goes right in the, in these types of situations and you batter somebody and win 5-1 away from home in Europe, everything looks perfect. But as Matt touched on there, City creates so many, many chances in these types of games. When the level of opposition is higher, either in certain Premier League games or in the latter stages of the Champions League, those chances are going to dramatically reduce. And then the argument of having somebody clinical inside the box to finish chances is going to get resurrected. Or... Is this idea of just, we've got so many players that can score by weight of numbers, eventually we'll get a goal? Yeah, I think that's it. They are a team that obviously can play very well. You know, There's a lot of money being spent on it. We're talking some of the best players in the world. And the thing about the number nine, you know, it's kind of old-fashioned, I think. It, that whole kind of you're a number nine you know like because he's the only one that can come on and score a goal it's that's not how Man City play they, they have a number nine position and as you say three or four of them can move into that and they rotate around uh, when they need to defend they'll switch to a defensive kind of formation when they want to attack they'll change things around and drop into the slots that are required there's many of them that can score in the team that, yes having a, an out and out proven goal scorer might be um, a good thing but you know if you're battering teams in the Champions League, 5-1 or whatever, and there's a stat uh, here that this is the 19th time that a Pep Guardiola side has scored more than five goals in the Champions League and that's obviously not just with Man City that's with uh, Barcelona and, and so on as well. So, in this competition even without having an out-and-out striker in all of these squads, he's battered people year after year. So it's obviously working. And I think the crucial thing is, and this is another interesting thing that I saw, that it's about the chances being supplied. As you say, I think they can all... um, take the chances really you know they're not bad players at all um Kevin De Bruyne I think is the key to a lot of this he's got um the third amount of assists in the the Champions League since the start of 2016 which is when he first started playing in the Champions League which puts him um on on par with people like Neymar and Mbappe you know, so he's that important. And maybe we maybe it goes under our radar a little bit. We get very excited about Neymar and Mbappe. And if they move to the Premier League, how big a deal that would be. But stats wise, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is right up there with the very, very best creating these chances. And um, and that's what's making life easy. If they didn't have Kevin De Bruyne in the side. Yeah, maybe they might be struggling a little bit more. Um, but I think he is the, um, he, you know, whatever they've got him. I'm not sure they do need an out and out number nine. Just quickly before we take a break, Matt, I want to get your take on Cole Palmer. The story from the weekend was him getting a few minutes for the senior side and then, as you say, running across the road, which is probably a bit dangerous because it's the main road. Hopefully he took the bridge. Uh, it was a, bri- the- yeah, it's a bridge there, isn't it? <laughs> ho- ho- hopefully he took the bridge, the safer option, to then go and knock in two for, uh, for the under-23s. Got off the bench last night, got his first ever Champions League goal, scored in the League Cup earlier this season and, and Guardiola will give him minutes. Obviously he's not going to solve the number nine conundrum with Cole Palmer, but... Looking at last night, looking at the sheer weight of games that City are going to play between now and the end of the year, 
does Cole Palmer have a role to play? And if he does, can he have an impact? Can he play in the Premier League? Can he get goals in the Premier League? I think in particular cup competitions is where you're going to see more of Cole Palmer right now. But it's just testament to Pep Guardiola again because I think we're just seeing what's happened with Phil Foden all over again, but with him. He seems to have been managed perfectly. You see him when he comes on. You, you, this is why he, he, he keeps them training with the first team because it's just seamless the way he integrates them in. It's like they've been playing together for years. You see him come on there and he makes a lovely little bit of movement, hangs on the edge of the box, knows where Sterling's going to play it. And he just sweeps the ball into the far corner. And when you, if you watch his goals for the under-23s, that's just typical Cole Palmer. It's what he does. And he has this this coolness, this this calmness when he gets the ball at his feet. He doesn't panic. He has. He, it's just basically, it's, you can tell he's being coached by Pep Guardiola the way, the way he's got him. And right now, if the way things are going, like with the amount of games we're going to be playing, we all know... This is why the best teams in the world build big squads now to, to, to compete on all fronts. And we, we all know Pep Guardiola wants to win every single trophy possible. So why not? If if it does, he does get a chance in the Premier League, I have no doubts whatsoever that Cole Palmer will come in and he will do the business. It's just obviously injuries, etc. stuff like that. I don't think he gets in ahead of a Bernardo Silva or a Kevin De Bruyne or a Phil Foden at the moment. But to have him in your squad in general, and he's only 19 years of age and he's showing this kind of maturity already... It's, it's nothing but excitement for me as a Man City fan. He's another local lad coming through. He's from Wivenshaw. That's where I was born. It's been a while since City have actually, you know, started doing this stuff. Foden sort of like set the precedent now with the young lads coming through the academy. And there's a couple more that are, that are, that are in there as well. We've got Wilson as Brandy's another one who'd look really exciting. He scored for City's um, under 23s last night against Bruges. So, yeah, it's exciting times to be a Man City fan at the moment, particularly with the young talent that we've got coming through. Yeah, a bright future for Cole Palmer and, you know, he's not got a bad example to follow in Phil Foden. Right, guys, we're going to call it there. We're going to take a quick break on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we are getting into preview mode. Manchester United at home to Atalanta tonight and Chelsea welcoming Malmo to Stamford Bridge. We're going to be looking at both of those games in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Wednesday edition of our podcast. Don't forget, if you're a regular listener to the show or if you're a new fan, if you click subscribe, you can get a brand new episode every single day. We are the only daily Premier League podcast. Every 24 hours, we have a fresh show. Right, before the break, it was reviews. Now we are taking a look at previews. Two more Premier League sides in action in the Champions League tonight. Manchester United at home to Atalanta and Chelsea at home to Malmo. Ian, we're going to look at uh, Atalanta and United first. And and in particular, we're going to look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he's getting pricklier and pricklier with journalists. Before the international break, he was very upset after the Everton game in his post-match press conference. That carried into the Leicester defeat this weekend and he's getting very, very annoyed. He's actually taken it maybe even to a little bit of a higher level and he's called out Jamie Carragher for some of his comments saying that he's annoyed at Carragher doubting his ability. He has no doubt in his ability as Manchester United manager or the club's faith in him. Is the situation starting to get to Solskjaer a little bit? He knows that results are not going their way. Just one win in the last five in all competitions, two in their last seven. They've slipped down in the Premier League. The Champions League is another route for them to get some success this season. 
is Solskjaer starting to feel the pressure a little bit and we're seeing that in his responses to questions? It's always a sign that things are not quite as comfortable, isn't it? If if they're starting to get a bit shirty with not just pundits or, or reporters, but you know people who are well-known in the game like Jamie Carragher. And when managers start having a pop at people like that, it, I'm not saying it never ends well, but, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's, he's not doing absolutely spectacularly, but, you know, yeah, they took a hiding at Leicester, but before that, they've gone on quite a, you know, long and beaten run. It's not like we're not talking a, you know, a team here that are floundering around the bottom of the table. Yes, it's not perfect, but it's not a disaster either. But it's just the way he's handling, as you say, handling the criticism and... I think some managers, if this was Jurgen Klopp, for example, I think it would probably bounce off him a bit more or he would give a more firm answer and just sort of shrug his shoulders and go, yeah, whatever. Whereas he does seem to be taking it a bit personally, which sort of suggests there's a, a little bit of stress there. But, do you know, I think that this is the... And I know that people complain when I mentioned this last week, um, the, the the three or four listeners that, uh, that that paid attention to to what I actually do say, uh, <laughs> which is double the, double the usual amount, I've got to say. Um that I've been saying and they say that you're anti-Cristiano Ronaldo I'm not anti-Cristiano Ronaldo what I'm saying is that when they signed Cristiano Ronaldo they also opened a Pandora's box of all sorts of other baggage that comes with him up. just being I'll there I'll back you up on that one Ian you know, 100% and, and I, I said that at the start I said that when it was a rumour that they were going to sign him I said you know it's a it's yeah. I said it's that. It's it's a Pandora's box. It, it, yes, he's a wonderful player, but there's so much other stuff that goes with him. And I'm not saying that it's all bad because there's some of that's good. You know, you, you're going to sell loads more shirts. There's a load more people are going to want to come to the games because he's there. He's a, an icon of football, one of the greatest players of all time. Fantastic. But with that comes especially at Manchester United where you've you're not you know you're blessed with riches you've got all sorts of world class players in the side that you're going to have to leave one of them out and and you're in this situation where whether the name is Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo or not it could be Mbappe it could be Neymar for example another world class player that you put in that side you're going to have to tell Bruno Fernandes or Cavani or uh, Rashford or, or or whoever that you haven't got room for them that they can't play every week and I think that balancing that in the background is going to be a problem because I've got to say, and I'm not, I'm, I'm saying this purely because he is my captain in my <laughs> fantasy league team, that Cristiano Ronaldo has contributed nothing for a month. It's, uh, it's no, not just right. Solskjaer that's facing right. questions as a manager about Ronaldo. It's also Ian Brannan. He, he's got his fingers in every single pie uh, at the moment. Cristiano Ronaldo, as, as Ian mentions, Matt is going to play tonight. We can be we can be pretty confident that Ronaldo's name will be on the team sheet. But the other big fitness call is Harry Maguire. Started against Leicester, clearly wasn't fit. He obviously missed the international break with England. He didn't go away. United have got this massive run of games coming up: Liverpool this weekend, Spurs, Atalanta, and then and then the derby on the sixth of November. Harry Maguire's return to fitness needs to be managed really, really carefully. Is it worth pulling him out of this game tonight, playing an Eric Bailly in there or Victor Lindelof, starting them as a pair because they cannot afford to not have Maguire against Liverpool this weekend? Um, I don't know because United and Ollie, they need the result tonight. They're up against an Atalanta side who have bags of quality. They're um, Atalanta are without the captain Talai, they've got no Gerzens, no Hatabua, but they you know they've still got players like, you know, Ilicic, Zapata, Muriel who can really like hurt you with their quality in front of goal. And 
coming off that Leicester result, Ollie, like we were saying, he's under he's under pressure. So United do need a result tonight. Plus, if Atalanta win, they go four points clear of him. You know, the, Atalanta will be on seven points. United will be left on three. So there's, there's a danger that they could be cut adrift if they just continue to drop games. So United, for me right now, need to play their strongest possible side. They've got Nova Ran, who is a massive miss, and Martial less so, but he's he's another player that can contribute in front of goal when he's on he's in the mood. But no, United. They do. They need to. Um, they really need to just play the strongest team possible. They, they're, they're a team that rely at the, at the moment, especially solely on moments of individual quality. I think I was watching like Gary Neville on Monday Night Football the other night, and he was dead on what he was saying. United. They don't have a game plan. They don't, especially without the ball. They don't know how to set up. They don't seem to have a shape. They don't seem to have a plan. They just seem to rely on moments of brilliance. They play in stages. United, and they can turn up, especially against the better sides. I've seen it as well. It's it becomes a pattern. You see them, they, they play against these lesser, so-called lesser sides and they, they might get turned over. But when it comes to these big big games, they seem to just turn it on for some reason. And it wouldn't surprise me if United went and battered Atalanta 4-0 tonight. It would, really wouldn't surprise me. But against a team like At- Atalanta, you've got to be on it. You can't be like Villarreal the other week where they, they, you know, they, they scrapped a 2-1 win, Ronaldo scoring last minute with a bit of a, a deflected effort towards him. They need to be on it tonight. They need to absolutely... Heads on the ball tonight. Otherwise, Atalanta will pick you apart. Atalanta might not be the team that they've been over previous seasons. You know, they seem to be Atalanta. They seem to be the anti-Italian way of playing. Like we we, we associate teams with Italy purely on defensive work, but Atalanta are a goal-scoring machine when they are in the mood. So if United really don't pull their socks up tonight, Atalanta will pick you apart. So yeah, Oli needs to play strongest possible eleven, and um, I'm hope for the best. Looking across to the other Premier League game, uh, other Premier League side in action, Ian, tonight, and that's Chelsea. We talked about them on Sunday's show, getting back to winning ways after that double defeat to City and Juventus. They beat Southampton before the break. They did make heavy work of winning against Brentford at the weekend, but they got through. They're still top of the league. They are seemingly maybe not quite as bulletproof as they were in the opening weeks of the season, but when you're pushing for major trophies, when you're pushing to win titles, you do have to go through these periods, and the key thing is to still keep winning games. And I said it on the Sunday show that maybe the edge has been taking them off them a little bit, but as I say, they're still top of the Premier League, they're still winning games, they've recovered from what could have been a bit of a sticky situation with losing to City and then losing to Juventus, and they're going to go out against Malmo tonight, and you'd fully expect them to just sweep on and get three points. Yeah, well, you'd expect that, but sometimes uh, these are the banana skins of European football when you take things for granted, because don't forget, as we mentioned before, that for these sides, the chance to play against uh, teams like Chelsea is is a big day, and, and for the players involved in the Malmo side, um, they're going to have this opportunity to play against some some world-class players, something that they didn't obviously have uh, that opportunity every single week, and uh, they're going to be up for it. Of course they are. Now, Chelsea should, in theory, have uh, enough strength for this, but there is talk of um, some players being rested um, particularly Lukaku apparently he's being overworked blimey and they say the nurses have it tough um, there's uh, so he's going to he's going to get um, potentially um, uh, a, a night off or at least on the bench and um, Mason Mount as well um, rested p- possibly after the, the international break Um it's you know they're working you know a couple of good couple of days a week here these guys you've got to give them their uh, give them their time off I know um, so there is that but obviously even without those two players Chelsea should have enough um, 
But as I say, when when sides I've I've seen sides before put out you know second not second strings or but weakened sides if you if you like to to rest some of their key players and you know sometimes it um it, it can come back and bite you. Um, I don't think it will with Chelsea. But you just never know. I think if there is going to be a surprise tonight, I suspect that might be it. Uh, before we move to the end of the show, call these two games for me. Guys, Matt, we'll go to you first. United, Atalanta, Chelsea, Malmo. Give us your prediction. I'm going to go 2-1 Atalanta and 3-0 to Chelsea against Malmo. OK, so one each in terms of Premier League wins. Ian, would you agree? Yeah, on balance, just about. I think certainly Chelsea are going to beat Malmo. Malmo haven't had a, a victory at all. They're just shipping goals for fun. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 actually, Malmo haven't actually scored a goal in the Got Champions League. Nothing to League lose, so though, have they? That's what so, it is that you're um, saying there, Ian. That these teams yeah. that just turn up, nothing to lose. Yeah. They might as well go for it. <laughs> I know, uh, you know, the the trip to London gets them out of the house. You know, all sorts of things might happen. But uh, yeah, I do fancy Chelsea will do it. I think they might make hard work of it, but I think they'll 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 sort it out. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and one bit of breaking news that's coming in in the last half an hour, probably completely expected, which is that Steve Bruce has left his position at Newcastle United just 13 days into the takeover from the Saudi Arabian-backed PIF Investment Group. Bruce is gone. It's such a he's shame that Marley's not on the pod for this. As, uh... It is indeed. Well, he's he's either crying into a pillow or cracking open his champagne. I reckon he's outside St. James's Park like the thousands of them the other week. <laughs> just Marley on his own with a can of Carly just having a party. <laughs> <laughs> with with uh, the the faint strains of uh, local hero by Dire Straits coming through his windows. I want I want to grab uh, both of your takes on this as well. But before we do, I'm just reading a, a quote from Bruce, and I've got to be honest, I had to double check that this was real because I've been laughing to myself um, with my mic turned down. This is an actual quote from Steve Bruce uh, on the back of his official statement. <clears throat> It's been a very, very tough time in the last few days. To be honest, I never really wanted to be in this position and to feel that people wanted me to fail is very difficult. To constantly read comments from people saying that I would fail, saying that I was useless was very, very difficult. To be called that every single day and including comments such as fat waste of space, tactically inept cabbage head is very, very difficult. And that has been the case from day one. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't know Steve Bruce was in on the cabbage <laughs> comments. But Ian, Ian, when you look at this, this is a Premier League manager talking about being called a cabbage in his exit press conference from being a Premier League manager. It does, we can talk about the situation with Steve Bruce and some of the shortcomings, but this does illustrate how toxic his relationship with the Newcastle fans oh, is. Sorry, I shouldn't have laughed at that because that's quite cruel, but has it been reading Marley's comments about him? Because I'm sure I've heard Marley refer to him as a cabbage on a few occasions, but I think it was, it was yeah, I was listening to, again, Gary Neville <laughs> talk about he felt sorry for him because it was no other person in any other job would go through what he's been through like in terms of like the way he's been just like thrown out for the wolves you know to feed on um he hasn't helped himself obviously with his results but you know he's a human being at the end of the day and you know steve bruce yeah he's got connections to man united and stuff like that and you know he's probably not my, my most favorite but you know as a, as a human being i think he's a decent he's a decent guy he's softly spoken he seems to come across well in his presses and i don't like seeing stuff like that being thrown around about people you know i mean i know i laughed there in the build-up but it's just because it was completely caught me off guard you know you don't expect to refer, someone to refer to himself as a fat cabbage head you know what i mean i cabbage head you know what i mean <laughs> that, you don't you don't expect that so you know it's it's what we was expecting 
Um, I think it's come a lot later than what I thought. I thought it would have been straight after the Tottenham game, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I wish him all, all the best in his future endeavours, and I don't think he's done in a game of football. He's managed 1,000 and, and um, yeah, 1,000 games now. He's not managed his 1,001st yet. But, yeah, over 1,000 games as a manager, he's, he's won more games than he's lost. So, yeah, I think he's still got still got a place in the game, and I, I wish Brucey all the best. Yeah, life begins at 1,001, Bruce. Yeah, I, I agree. Ian, just just quickly on the situation, Graham Jones is going to take charge this weekend against Palace. Obviously, the big focus is now going to be on who takes over. Just looking at some of the odds, there's a big gap between the top two and everyone else. And, and as it stands, it's Paolo Fonseca joint with Eddie Howe. J- Jones is going to be in temporary charge this weekend. He might even be given the extra game, the, the Chelsea game next weekend if it's not sorted. Where do Newcastle go from here? Well, they they certainly need to get um, <clears throat> a manager and and uh, and back him. You know that's the thing. And I think the the thing now, the problem now is that because of the amount of expectation there is in Newcastle, and it it is an arrogance now that is is around Newcastle even more than ever it was. Um, obviously, they they think they they they've got big. Um, aspirations so you know big sam to the end of the season ain't gonna cut it <laughs> it's gonna have to be like a a well-known a well-known name i mean i, I, I oh, would try in, in the same way as yeah just <laughs> bring back big triceratops please just yeah, just please. for the rest of this yeah, season yeah. just to see what he can do you know see what sam allardyce can do with the richest club in the world it'll be just um absolutely when maybe we'll see his true potential oh. um but anyway, I don't think that's gonna. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen, unfortunately. So they're gonna get a name in. Um, the thing is, there's not a lot you can do in the transfer window that's coming up. You know, you're gonna be dealing with mercenaries, and that's gonna be their thing. They're gonna have all sorts of players. It, money does not equal success. You know, uh, experienced managers might equal success and some shrewd investments might equal success, but it's a long term thing. Mm. You know, you you look at the history and I think it was Arsene Wenger that pointed this out a while ago. I watched an interview with him and he had a point. You look at teams who change their manager mid-season and see how much difference it makes. And rarely does it make a massive difference. Yes, it might stop you getting relegated, but bringing a, a different manager in at this stage of the season isn't going to mean you're going to be finishing in the top three, no. because you, you can't do it. You, you know, it takes a long time, as, as yeah. you know, Matt. With Man City, you can't make it, it's not it's not an overnight thing. When rich people come in and buy your club, you can't just clear them all out what you've got because you've you've still got to pay them, and they they want to play. You can't. It just doesn't work like that. It's going to take five a few years, years at least five to get years, where I, everybody's say. hoping. Uh, yeah. Hey, look. Um, the Newcastle Chronicle have simulated uh, what life would be like under Eddie Howe at uh, Newcastle United. And uh, in case you're wondering, they've fed all the uh, things in uh, the aspects of Eddie Howe's career, the sort of players that he might buy, um, fed it into the master computer, and they reckon that they would finish fifteenth. Uh, so, uh, you know, there might be uh, looking beyond Eddie Howe, unfortunately, on that one. But they do reckon that over time, um, you know, that, that Newcastle will climb up the, the Premier League table. But it is going to be a year's year and year sort of thing, some of the four or five years or so. But, um, yeah, who do you get now? 
it's got to be a manager that don't want Champions League football for a year at least. Well, for me, they need yeah. they need to focus solely on building a team around Alan St. Maximan, who's by far their best player, and just surviving in the Premier League. Because if they survive in the Premier League, then they've got you know time to then build on that. Then because if they get relegated to the Championship, let's not have it. Let's have it right, guys. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that they can get relegated. They get relegated, and they're the richest club in world football. You know what's that going to do for them? They, they might not get out of the Championship for another two years, so then that's all their plans messed up. So what they need to focus on building a team around St Maximan uh, surviving in the Premier League and then go from there that's what they need to do for me yeah and uh, just quickly any Newcastle fans that are worried about Sam Allardyce coming back <clears throat> to St James's Park I'm just looking at some of the numbers here he's 100 to 1 to take over and if you wanted an example of how ridiculous a market that is the two names that he's sandwiched in between are Jurgen Klopp <laughs> and Schultz and Shola Amiobi so I think that shows how likely wow. Sam Allardyce is. bring Shearer back that shows that yeah, that shows how likely uh, Sam Allardyce is. Two very different reasons for why Jurgen Klopp and Shola Amiobi won't be rocking up at St. James's Park. Right, a bit of a ridiculous end to a bit of a ridiculous few days in Premier League football. We're going to wrap it up there. Ian, Matt, as always, thanks so much for your time. Nice one. Thank you. Great stuff indeed. Jim, Marley and Niall will be back tomorrow. Marley probably with steam coming out of his ears, yeah. talking about Bruce Gates, Cabbage Head, etc. Looking at the games from tonight, reviewing Manchester United <laughs> and Chelsea and also asking the big question, what next for Newcastle? Don't forget to check out that show and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.